Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henn. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Start off telling you a story. There was a Russian, an Englishman, an American driving down the highway when their car overheats. Now, I know you think this is a joke, <laughs> but it's really describing my afternoon today. <laughs> I was sitting at home and I was entering that pre-nap phase of an afternoon. You, you all know what that's like when you're, you're sitting there in that chair and your head starts to do the, the bobbing thing there. You know, it, it's like an appetizer for a nap. And, you know, f- myself, I can never fall asleep in my chair because when I fall asleep, I stop breathing. <laughs> and I have this machine that I use and a mask that looks like the guy that Batman just fought last time. And uh, that keeps me breathing while I'm sleeping. But while I'm doing this little pre-nap routine, the phone rings. And you know how that is when the phone rings and you're wanting to go to sleep. You just want to pick up that thing and throw it across the room. Well, I answered the phone because I saw it was my son, Spencer. He's the American, okay? Uh, <laughs> and I could tell by the background noise uh, I heard over the phone that something wasn't right. And in fact, his car was on the side of the highway, overheated with his two friends from Marietta College, a Russian and an Englishman. <laughs> Those are his two best friends at Marietta. They'd gone up to Kent to visit Spencer's brother, Alex, and were on their way back down. And this old blazer that we have, I think it's finally ready to shoot the horse, if you know what I mean. But God was good because we're on the side of the highway. I, went, I drove up in the truck to help him out, and there was about two feet of snow on most of the berm. There was about three feet of berm that had no snow, And so we're just as far off as we can, hoping not to get stuck in the snow. There are cars going 70 miles per hour, you know, whizzing right past us there. And God watched over us. He protected us. He got the tow truck driver there with the um, battery uh, jumper to get us going. I filled up his radiator, and we got home. And so God was good in in that situation. And uh, so that's just, that's a freebie. has nothing to do with the sermon tonight. <laughs> uh, spiritual allergies. Now, what in the world do I mean by that? Well, we all know what allergies are. Probably a lot of us in here suffer from them. And the problem with allergies is sometimes it makes us appear like something we aren't. Now, this is a story that goes back, uh, I'm 57 years old, so I'm going to guess around 35 years ago. I went down to West Virginia to visit my grandmother. I love my grandmother. She was just that uh, prototypical grandmother that every kid wants to have, every kid loves to be around. I was about 22 years old. I went down to visit her in West Virginia to spend a weekend. And one of her friends uh, had passed away. And grandma wanted to know if I could take her to the funeral home. I said, sure, grandma, I'll, I'll take you there. And so we drive into town, and I didn't know the deceased person. I didn't know any of their family. I didn't know anybody else there except my grandmother. So I take a seat while she's going through the line and talking to people. And 
I've never been mistaken for a professional mourner before, but there were a lot of flowers in that funeral home that I guess I've never been exposed to before because within about five minutes, I am crying. Tears are just coming. My, my eyes are itching. My nose is running. And, you know, I'm, and I'm wiping, you know, and I'm sure they're red now. And people were kind of looking at me with that, you know, that look of pity, you know, as they walked past thinking I must have been overcome with grief. It was simply allergies. And, you know, allergies, uh, if you suffer from them like I do, I, I feel bad for you. Uh, I sometimes, this is no joke, I will sit in my classroom and sneeze so loud that they can hear me on the first floor, okay? Uh, it's an atomic sneeze, and it, and it just, and it's, there's no end to it. So, but, you know, what, what is an allergy? Well, a person uh, becomes allergic when something invades their body that triggers an immune response. And that response uh, releases things into your bloodstream, histamines, and so forth like that. And your body reacts. And we all know how your body reacts to allergies. You sneeze, your nose runs, your eyes water, you itch, all that kind of stuff. And so your body identifies something that is usually harmless, and it, put, it sees it as a threat to its system. And sometimes your response to an allergen can be stronger and stronger the more that you are exposed to that allergen. And, you know, it can be uh, sometimes a, uh, a simple uh, response from your body, like I mentioned. It can be an asthmatic response. It can be a response where you feel like, you know, it's hard to breathe. It can, it can literally cause death through an anaphylactic shock. And sometimes it makes people think you're mourning, okay? So allergies uh, affect us in different ways. And the, the way I want to focus on tonight is that it sometimes makes us appear like things that we are not. And, and, and it gives uh, an impression to people that is perhaps false about who you are. And spiritual allergies do the same thing. When, when our spiritual self reacts to a quote-unquote allergen, a trigger, that comes into our lives. We sometimes respond in a way that doesn't look like the way we normally do and maybe that we normally would act. And so that's what we want to look at tonight with this story about two of the great heroes of the New Testament, Peter and Paul. So let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless this time and then we'll get into this story. Our Father, uh, we thank you for uh, this text that we're about to read from your word. And Lord, I, I just simply ask that you would show me areas that I need to be aware of in my own life, uh, of spiritual allergies and how maybe they trigger me uh, to behave in a way that is not proper. And so, Father, I, I, as, I, as I read this text, I just invite all of us to ask ourselves maybe who we can identify with uh, in this story and to ask your Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us and perhaps change us so that we look more like your son when we leave here than when we came in. And it's your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. So if you would like to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2 or click on your digital device, I welcome you to go ahead and do that. Oh, I want to give you a little summary of the first part of the chapter before we start diving into 
the actual verses that we want to explore. So in Galatians 2, Paul, the apostle, is staying in Antioch. And it's just before his third missionary journey. And it's the spring holy day. And the apostle Peter, you know, one of the original 12 disciples, he, he visits. Now, Peter has, up to this point, he has had his vision that the Lord gave him uh, about going to the Gentiles. And he has lived in free and unrestrained association with Gentile believers, with Gentile converts. He regularly meets and eats with them. And this was all, unfortunately, about to change his behavior and allergic reaction to some other people that come into his life here. Now, at this time, this uh, text is written, and when Peter is in Antioch, there were some Jewish believers that came from James, and they were believers who presided over the church at Jerusalem. And they come here to Antioch, and the problem is they bring with them some of their old prejudices and biases and, and bad habits uh, of Hebrew disdain for association with Gentile believers. And so we're going to see uh, uh, just a, a bad mix here, and we're going to see the reaction that Peter has with these Jewish believers in his midst. So let's go ahead and start with Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, and we read the following. But when Cephas came to Antioch, and of course that's Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, I is Paul. That's Paul talking there. And so we see right off the bat, there's a conflict. Something is going on. You know, it kind of has the making of a pay-per-view, you know, battle, you know, between two uh, heavyweight boxers here. These are two heavyweights in the spiritual world. Uh, the disciple who walked with Jesus versus the persecutor of Christians who was uh, converted on the road to Damascus. And of course, we know Paul went on to write almost half of the books of the New Testament. And so these are two people who carry a lot of weight, you know, and influence with the church. So what's going to be the outcome? Would this uh, harm this new religion called Christianity? I know I'm being a little bit overly dramatic here, but the real message that we're going to get from this story is this, and that's, this is the first uh, point on your outline, so fill this in. Sin must be confronted. Sin has to be confronted. And that's what Paul did. He says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He stood condemned. What that means is his, his sin has basically showed him to be in the wrong. Okay, so it's not like it's up for uh, discussion. What he is doing is wrong. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. A little bit later on in the book of Galatians, Paul writes these words about confronting sin. This is Galatians 6, verse 1. And he said, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You know, a lot of people have a, a live and let live, do not judge lest you be judged kind of mentality. That's actually counterproductive in God's economy. Now, look, we're not saying here, hey, 
you know, go out and try to find everything that somebody's doing wrong and, and confront them with it. But when we know that there is sin going on, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a church that is a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to deal with it. We can't just ignore it. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the following. He says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. And so what Bonhoeffer is saying here is, look, you're not doing anybody any favors by turning a blind eye to sin. You're not helping them. In fact, you're hurting them. And it's really more compassionate to reach out and love someone and help to win them back. Confronting someone who is clearly in the wrong is never a pleasant task. I mean, you know with your own kids. If you've raised your children and you've caught them doing something wrong, you know, that can, that can lead to a real battle of wills, okay? So confronting somebody in the wrong, that, that is, that's, it's not fun. You don't know how they're going to respond. They could be indignant. They might say, well, I don't see any wings growing out of your back. You know, you're not perfect. Why, who are you to judge me? You know, you could lose a friendship. There is a lot of risk, and at times it seems like there's very little reward. Nevertheless, it must take place. But we have to follow the guidelines that Paul gives us here in Galatians 6. You know, number one, he says, you are spiritual. So make sure that you yourself are mature in your relationship with Christ, if you are going to go to someone and counsel them about their sin. Number two, he says, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That says to me that make sure you're acting out of love. You know, there's too many people out there that really enjoy seeing people get in trouble. You know, in school, we call them tattletales, right? People and some people just enjoy seeing others you know, get caught in their sin, get caught in the act, and they like seeing that. But we're to make sure that we act out of love. Number three, keep watch on yourself, Paul says. Watch yourself. In other words, make sure your motives are pure. Why am I doing this? Do I have something against that person personally, or am I really looking out for their best, for their most, and their spiritual health? And number four, Paul says, lest you too be tempted. In other words, avoid the same temptation to sin that you're trying to correct. Whatever that sin might be, if you know someone uh, maybe is just having trouble spreading gossip, okay, and they've spread some very hurtful gossip, you need to make sure that you're not participating or exposing yourself to that same kind of temptation, or it can reach out and grab you too. So there, there is a mandate in the Bible for us as believers to lovingly reach out and confront sin. Now, between Paul and Peter, we don't see evidence of an argument. You know, there's no evidence that it got heated, that it came to blows or anything like that. And it's very possible that there was an immediate change of heart and repentance on Peter's part. Because we all know that Peter was a little bit prone the sudden, you know, changes in tone. In fact, Peter, when he writes at the very end of his last letter, he says this about Paul. He says, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according 
to the wisdom given him. And so it seems like it was an amicable end here with these two, with Paul confronting Peter. And so that's a good thing. That's what you want. You want there to be relationships restored. Well, as we continue reading in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to get a little bit of background information now on what was really leading up to this conflict, this reason that Paul had to confront Peter. So Galatians 2.12, we read the following. It says, before, for before certain men came from James, he was eaten with the Gentiles, and that means Peter. In other words, before these Jewish believers came that James sent, Peter found it very comfortable to eat with the Gentile believers. He goes on, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, yeah, everybody's going to fear a circumcision party, right? Oh, no, that's, take that out of the podcast. <laughs> no, he, he was intimidated. I mean, this happens to a lot of us, right? You know, we act one way, and then maybe perhaps when influential people come around or people we want to impress or maybe people that we know are not going to be uh, beholden to those that we're hanging out with now, you know, we, we, have a, we have an allergic reaction to these people. We're triggered, and it causes us to respond in a way that just is not who we are or who we should be. And the reason that Peter drifted away from doing what is right is because he ignored a basic principle that all followers of Jesus should live by. And fill this in, this is the next point on your outline. We are to please God, not men. Please God, not men. God is the one that we worship. We don't worship people. God is the one that we should be the object of that adoration, not, not people. And we should try and strive, and, and our goal should always be to please God over pleasing men. First Thessalonians 2.4, we read the following. It says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, and here's the key, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And so what Paul is saying here to the Thessalonians is this. He says, look, when you, when you talk, don't try to talk in such a way that people are going to come up and tap you on the back and say, oh, what a great person you are, how smart you are, how, how eloquent you are. No, talk in such a way that you are pleasing God. And how, how do we do that? Well, it's, you know, the words that we say and the spirit in which we say them, you know, speak love, speak truth, do what we know we need to do because of what the Bible tells us. We are to please God and not men. So Peter, when these Jews showed up from Jerusalem, he starts to waver in his conviction. Uh, he found it more convenient to let these influential people sway him away from fellowshipping with these Gentile believers, these Gentile converts. And in a weak acquiescence to the biases of these men, he withdrew, he separated himself from those that he had been treating as equal and as brethren. And this was noticed by Paul, and Paul was not going to let it to continue. Paul was going to make sure that he had a one-on-one -on -one with Peter here. 
And so Peter's spiritual immune system was going into overdrive. You know, like I said, he had this allergic reaction to these Gentile believers because of this trigger that these Jerusalem believers caused in him. He bought into the lie that somehow hanging with the right people, in this case, the circumcised crowd, you know, hanging with the right group of people would somehow be beneficial to him. It would make him more spiritual. You know, we see that in churches around the country all the time. You know, they're, they're drawn to this church or that church because that's a happening place to be. That's, that, that leader is so charismatic. You know, everybody who is somebody is going to that church. Uh, that's not what God has called us to do. His spiritual allergy was based on image and a false concept of what really matters. But make no mistake, there are certainly some things that we cannot compromise. Peter never should have compromised fellowshipping with these believers. And as followers of Jesus Christ, there are always going to be some things that we might disagree with with other believers that are secondary and tertiary issues, but there are some issues that we, we cannot compromise on. One of them is this book right here. The Bible is God's Word. It is inspired by God, it is without error, and it has been given to us for us to know the heart, mind, nature, and character of God. And let me tell you, there's never been a book more attacked in the world than God's Word, the Bible. And we see that happening even more and more today. We cannot compromise on the work of Jesus on the cross. You know, there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, I don't think God is so narrow-minded that the only way you can get to heaven is to believe in this story in the Bible. No, we cannot compromise on the work of Christ on the cross that leads to salvation. And that salvation is by faith alone. That's another thing we cannot compromise on. We don't work our way into heaven. We, we, don't, we don't gain favor with God because we're trying to earn brownie points. No, salvation is by faith alone because of God's grace. And those are just a few of the areas that we cannot compromise on. But like I said, there will be those areas, secondary, tertiary issues, that really shouldn't divide us, okay? And I don't want to go into a long list of that tonight, but I think everyone here knows pretty much that the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing. And that is what we just talked about here. So, in the case of Peter and these other Jewish believers here, it's really not a question of whether or not these Gentile believers were violating some kind of doctrine. They were simply suffering a form of spiritual discrimination by Peter and these others due to their ethnicity. And that's all it was. They just happened to be born outside of the Jewish people. They were Gentiles. Basically, they were foreigners. And believe me, the Jews looked upon the Gentiles as nothing but sinners. And when they said sinners, they meant people who were pretty much just, you know, base. They, they, there were no redeeming qualities in them. And so there was a great amount of prejudice that was felt towards these Gentiles. Well, let's keep reading here. Let's go on to the next verse in our text. And we'll see that although allergies are not contagious, you know, bad behavior can be. 
So Galatians 2.13, read the following. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Fill in this next point tonight. Our sin affects others. Our sin affects other people. We do not live in a vacuum. And no matter how secret we think our sin might be, no matter how unexposed we think that what we're doing, that nobody's ever going to know about it, even if nobody except God knows about our sin, it still affects other people. Now, you're saying, well, how does how that happen? Well, it's because we're a part of a body. We're part of a body of Christ. The Bible tells us that. You know, if, if I have a broken toe, okay, or if I've got gout going on, which I've had many a time, the rest of my body, it's going to suffer because I can't walk right. Or if I have uh, uh, something in my eye and I can't see, the rest of my body is going to suffer because it's not going to know which way it's going. And so we do not live in a vacuum. What I do and what you do, our actions affect other people for better or for worse. It doesn't matter, again, if our sin is blatantly out in the open or if it's hidden from the eyes of the world. My sin will have a negative impact on those around me and especially on the body of Christ and on my family. Listen to what Paul says to the believers in Corinth uh, in his first letter uh, to the Corinthians here, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. He says, our boasting is not good. Now, what he's talking about here is the people in this church were kind of boasting uh, about a sin that was going on. And Paul goes on to say, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so the context here, what's going on in the church in Corinth is that there is a man who has been having a sexual affair with the wife of his father, presumably his stepmother, okay? And even though apparently everyone in the church at Corinth knows about this affair, they have not addressed this man's sin. They have allowed it to continue, and they have allowed him to keep coming to meetings and to participate in the life of the church. And the fact that the members of this church were ignoring a sin, it, it makes it even that much more grievous, and it ends up infecting everyone. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that a little bit of leaven permeates the entire lump of dough. Now, I don't know much about making bread. I don't know much about leaven and unleavened bread, but I guess leaven was used back then to make uh, the bread rise, and aged dough of the previous batch would be stored away, and a little bit of it would be used in to start the next batch, and they would work this tiny piece of dough in, uh, into the new batch, and they would introduce the leavening agents, which were spread to all the new material, and if the leaven was bad, the bacteria in it would quickly spread throughout the rest of the dough, making all of that bread worthless. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says, look, you are going to allow this person to corrupt and to corrode the whole congregation, the whole church, just like bad leaven is going to make a whole batch of bread sickening to eat. The, the metaphor here is obvious. Not dealing with sin can lead to the corruption of the whole body. Well, King David himself was no stranger to this corrupting uh, influence of sin. He writes the following in the book of Psalms, 
Psalms 119, 136, King David says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. And so David is lamenting the fact that God's people, the Israelites, were breaking God's law. It brought streams of tears to his eyes. And here's the deal. When sin no longer produces godly sorrow, then our consciousness has been what the Bible says, seared. When sin does not cause me to grieve, it becomes easier and easier for me to continue sinning. We need to understand that sin needs to be confronted, and we need to understand that God is who we are here to please, not man, and we need to never forget that sin is corrosive and it affects everyone around it. And so we need to repent. And, you know, repenting is agreeing with God that we're heading in the wrong direction and we need to stop, do a 180, and go back the other way. And we need to grieve our sin knowing that what we have been doing is it's not right with God and it's not something that's going to produce anything good in the body of Christ. So how does Paul go about correcting Peter, setting him straight, confronting his sin, and the other Jewish believers. Well, look at verse 14 in our text. We read the following. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, that sounds a little confusing there, but basically Paul's saying, look, Peter, I know you've been hanging out with the Gentiles. I know you've been enjoying their fellowship. In fact, you've been hanging out with the Gentiles so much, you kind of have taken upon a lot of their characteristics. And that's, it was nothing bad. These were Gentile believers. These were converts. These were people who had put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They just happened to not be born Jewish. And so Paul is pointing out to them, hey, you yourself have been acting like a Gentile. You Here's the buzzword of the day. You identify as a Gentile with these people. And now you're telling them that, hey, you're not good enough. I'm going to hang with my Jewish buds here. Paul is very direct with him. And Paul reminds Peter of a very simple but important truth. Fill this in. Sin is in opposition to God's word. Sin is in opposition to God's holy word. Look again what, what Paul said. He says, when I saw that their conduct, plural, their conduct, Peter's conduct, the conduct of the Jewish believers from Jerusalem, when I saw that their conduct was not what? In step with the truth of the gospel. They were out of bounds, right? They had gone out of bounds. They were not following what God's word said they should do. And so sin is in opposition to God's word. Paul reminds us of this later in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says the following, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So in other words, our fleshly desire which still exists, even when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have 
asked for forgiveness and we have given our lives over to Christ, we are still in this husk of a human body here. And sin still hangs around. And so we still, from time to time, we fall into sin. And what, what, uh, what Paul is saying here is, is look, the desire of the flesh is going to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. What are those things? Or those things are going to all nations and making disciples of, of all men. Those things are reaching out to your neighbor. Those things are loving your neighbor like you love yourself. Those are kind of things that the flesh keeps us from doing. But the spirit wants us to continue doing because those are two opposing forces. Adam and Eve, desires of the flesh, walking with God in the Garden of Eden up until that day that they ate from the tree that God told them not to. Satan was able to get them to believe an opposing view to what God had told them. And we know the rest of the story. The desire of the flesh led to sin entering the world. It kept the first man and woman from doing the things they wanted to do, simply having that beautiful, unending, uncommon communion with the God that created them. And because the desire of the flesh was opposed to the, to the spirit, and they fell for it, they were no longer allowed to do what they wanted to do. King David in Psalm 119 shows us about this opposition. He says the following, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What's the opposition there? Sin, God's word. Sin, God's word. Two opposing forces. And David here tells us how do we keep from sinning? It's very simple. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Stay in God's word. How do we resist the desires of the flesh? Be in God's word. How do we stand with God instead of oppose him? Read God's word. It's not rocket science, people. It's right here in front of us. Look, this, this is not a how-to book. This is not an instruction manual. This is the very word, character, and nature of God given to us for our protection. It's been said that this is a love letter to us and that Jesus is his author. If we are in God's word, we will more and more desire the things of the spirit and more and more be immune to the desires of the flesh. Well, as we draw close to the end of our text, we read the following two verses, Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, these two verses, there's a little bit of debate whether Paul has changed his focus, and he is directing these two verses to all the Galatians, or if he is still chastising Peter and the Jewish believers. It doesn't really matter. They're still full of truth. Listen to verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Fill in this point. The law was not given to save us. 
Now, a lot of people in Jesus' time, I think they thought opposite of that. But the law was not given to save us. It just wasn't. And Paul wants there to be no mistake here. He's saying whether a believer was circumcised or uncircumcised, following the law of Moses in the Old Testament was not God's plan of salvation. Jew or Gentile, man or woman, adult or child, listen, they are all equal at the cross because what Jesus Christ took upon himself on the cross. They are all equal at the cross because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that is the only work ever done that leads to salvation from our sin. It was done by Jesus Christ. You know, if, uh, if it had been asked of me to send my son to the cross to save all the humanity, we'd all be in hell because I wouldn't have done it. First of all, my sons aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. It took the perfect man of Jesus Christ who never once sinned in his life to be able to take all of the sins of humanity on his shoulders and to also receive the complete and total wrath of God upon him because he took the punishment that we deserved. Paul says it this way in, in Romans 8, 3. He says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. But what did God do? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so the law was given to us so that we could know that we could never live up to the law. Jesus Christ was the only one who could satisfy the demands of the law. We could never be good enough to earn God's favor. And in that way, the law was weak. It took Jesus, God's son, coming in the flesh to take our sin upon him, our sins of the flesh, and to fix what the law could never do, conquer sin. Let's look again at Galatians 2.16. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. That's very clear. We cannot earn our salvation. Nobody is ever going to be in heaven because of what they did on earth. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Fill in our last point tonight. Faith in Jesus Christ justifies us. It justifies us, not the law. Nobody could be justified by the law. Justified. We're made right with God. Justified in Christ means that God has moved us from a position of opposition to him, injustice, to a state of grace, justice, because of what Christ did. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the cure for spiritual allergies? It's being justified by Christ. What's the cure for sin in our lives? It's not turning to the law. The law just points out our sin. 
It's allowing the work of Christ on the cross to become real in your lives and mine. That is how we overcome spiritual allergies, sin, manifestations of who we really are not, whatever you want to call it. As we close tonight, I want you to think about maybe who you can identify with in this story. Maybe you can identify with Paul. Maybe you've been in that situation where you knew something was not right, and you knew God was telling you that you needed to talk to someone about their sin. Or maybe even right now, you know that you have a person in your life that God is saying in love, in gentleness, in respectfulness, I want you to go and I want you to help that person to see the right path that they should be on. Maybe you've been in Peter's place, you know? Hey, allowing people to influence you that you shouldn't allow to influence you. And sometimes we simply have to cut ties. It's a lot easier for me to pull somebody down off of a chair than for somebody up in the chair to pull me up to their level. And sometimes we need to cut those kinds of ties. Maybe you can identify with the believers from Jerusalem, and you've had occasions where you thought, yeah, I'm all that. Hey, pride affects all of us. Believe me, I've been there. Or, or maybe, maybe you can identify with these Gentile believers, and you've been hurt. You've been hurt by people in a church. And as Pastor Kurt has said before, you've never been had until you've been had by a Christian. It's, it's hard. There's no more pain like pain from a fellow believer in Christ. Whatever you might find yourself identifying with, or maybe none of these, just remember what we have talked about here, that we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.